emergency press conference time. Uh, I'm visiting my parents in Lake Worth, and this Michigan thing just happened where John, uh, Jawan Howard, the coach of the Wolverines, was assaulted by the Wisconsin coach. As a Michigan man, as an unbiased Michigan man, if you don't stand up and have some pride, integrity, honor in what you do, you're going to let this dude assault you. Who's got it better than us? reason that bad things happen to you is because you're a dumbass. The reason that bad things happen to you is because you're a dumbass. Well, if those aren't the words of wisdom for the day from Red Foreman, I don't know what is. My goodness. What happened Sunday, guys? Oh my goodness, your coach is going nuts. Nuts. Remember that. Remember that phrase, the reason bad things happen to you is because you're a dumbass. That's why. Like Red Foreman says before that, it's not because you have bad luck. Bad things don't happen to you because you have bad luck. Bad things happen to you because you're a dumbass. And when you get suspended five games... That's not because of something the head coach of the other team did. That's something you did. A dumb thing that you did. You take responsibility for your arm swiping across and hitting another coach in the face. In the face! <laughs> in the face! <laughs> he hit him right in the face, guys. Right in the face. And I don't know if what Dave Portnoy said was completely satirical or if it was serious. I don't know. But but as soon as I heard him go, the emergency press conference, I was like, okay, he's wasted recording this video in Florida or for wherever he was. I don't Florida, Texas, Georgia, care, wherever, wherever he was. Emergency press conference time, guys. Okay, whatever. You're hammered. Nothing that you're going to say is going to be taken seriously. But the fact that he said it and he put it out there and then it got taken down by him is kind of funny, which leads me to think that he was actually serious when he said it. Because if he wasn't serious when he said it and it was satirical the entire time, why would he take it down? Right? Like if it was if it was a complete joke and he made everyone know that it was a joke, it would have just gotten left up there. But I think he took it down because he was serious about it. And people were like, bro, what are you doing, man? But then you have the people on Bleacher Report that are saying free Jawan, and it's like, okay, here's your reservation to the Jelly of the Month Club, the gift that keeps on giving. Please go away and don't talk to me, ever. Oh, you didn't talk to me in the first one. That, that, that's beside, this is, all of this is beside the point. We're gonna get to this later. Because I have business that I need to attend to first. Unfinished business. Unfinished business from last week. Right? So this is part two of the fiasco and the wildfire of emotions that I started last week. So we'll get to Juwan in his whatever that was later. So we're going to do two main things today. We're going to clean up and put a, just a beautiful end. To this whole Stafford thing. And then 
we're going to get into Juwan Howard, Michigan, what happened first off, my reaction to other reactions, and do I think it was right that he got suspended five games, not the rest of the season, five games, and do I think it's right that Greg Gard got fined $10,000, and what do I think about Wisconsin picking up the fine for Greg Gard, and what do I think about Diabate and Terrence Williams getting one game suspension? And what do I think about the Wisconsin player, whose name I'm totally blanking on right now, getting a one game suspension as well? So all that's going to be at the end. We're going to end with that. But I needed to start with that just at the beginning because that is what's happening. But I didn't finish my thoughts on Stafford last week because it was it was too much. There was too much happening. And I, it just wasn't going to happen last week. I, I did everything that I could last week because it was it was not good. It was not good, and I need to finish what I started last week before I move on to what's what's really really going on right now. Because this whole Michigan thing, it's a developing story. True, like everything's happened, but we don't know the extent of the repercussions, right? We we know that Jawan isn't fired yet. We know that Jawan is has a chance to come back, but but there's. They're just things that can still happen. This is developing, and I, I, I've gone back, and I keep going back and looking at news, see if there's any updates, and I'll probably go back as I record this probably three times just to see if there's anything else going on. But we'll we'll do all of that craziness later. But I need to finish what I started with Stafford and stuff last week, Stafford and company, because I got heated last week, and I don't think it was unwarranted. I'm not upset at myself that I got heated on the show, right? It's it's just part of the business, right? This is an emotional thing for me. I take this stuff seriously. I take it more seriously than others. I take it less seriously than others. That's just how it works. Everybody's different when they get behind the mic. Some people are more mellow. Some people are very straightforward. Some people are numbers people. Some people are, you know, statistics triple majors or whatever, like Cynthia Freeland from NFL, and they just deep dive into every single number, metric, whatever possible, right? Everybody's different and everybody is good at what they do for different reasons. And I like that I get to show emotion with what I do. And I did last week. And this week is going to be more, yes, there's going to be emotion and I'm going to feel certain ways about what happened with Stafford, but I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to scream into the mic. I'm not going to break my microphone almost like I did last week because I've had time to, to, to marinate with this. I've had time to look myself in the mirror. I've had time to stare my Stafford Rams and Lions jersey, just stare at it, at the wall, let it hang there and look at it before I took them all down and put up basketball and hockey stuff. Right? I've had time to just kind of let it sink in and understand what happened. And by the way, Stafford's victory parade, top tier content, top tier content. And I say that because we never got that side of Stafford when he was here, when he was in Detroit. We never saw the happy, fun, Stafford winning, yay, we just won a Super Bowl, or hey, we just won the division, or hey, we just won a playoff game. We never saw that side. We saw the Stafford that was happy he won a game, happy he won 11 games during the regular season. We saw Stafford monotone in conferences and press conferences after games or before games when things went wrong and they lost games. We never saw that we never saw the 
Southern hospitality or the let's go of Stafford. We never saw any of it. Any of the the pulling pulling from the 42 and, and going, let's go into the mic. Right? We never saw any of it. It was never here in Detroit. We, I mean, we barely even got the hyper-competitive side of Stafford. I can probably remember three times off the top of my head where Stafford showed the most energy on the team. I'll put it that way. There were I, I remember one play distinctly. I don't know why, but it was like a, a quarterback draw, like not even a quarterback draw. It, it was a busted play, and Stafford ran the ball, and he got like seven yards, and he ran a dude over, and he got up and he just started letting the other team have it just letting them have it screaming in their faces pushing them around Stafford was not taking anything from anybody on that play but that was like one of probably four or five times that I saw the fire out of Stafford the competitiveness the competitiveness was there but the fire wasn't but this seeing that side of Stafford in that I guess you can call it a victory parade. Not many people were there, but a parade's a parade, no matter how many people are there. With the Rams' victory parade, that was something that I had never seen before. And it was fun. Honestly, it was fun. It was funny. And it, it, it doesn't make what happened any less painful or less annoying, but it was fun to see. I had a great time watching that because I was like, look, it's, it's always good to see a different side of somebody, a good side, a good side that you didn't know was there or you wanted to see but never got to see. Now, the problem is, is you're seeing it with somebody else. Like when somebody opens up to somebody else in a way that they wouldn't open up to you, it's like, oh man, well, it's good to see that you're capable of opening up, but why couldn't you have done that when you weren't 2,000 miles away? But like, you get, you get what I'm saying, right? It's, it's not necessarily bad that you know all this happened you know after he won the super bowl it's not a bad thing that he went and went crazy and got hammered and went on a parade and tom brady told him to drink water like that's all that's all super cool that's all super fun like i don't have i wasn't sitting there alone in a dark room like crying as he was at the parade like i mean one i was in class but also it was like it was fun to see when I saw it. Like when I saw the video of it, I think I saw it on Instagram first. I was like, I mean, look at Stafford. Look how happy he is. And you know, the, the wife was there making a big old scene out of everything. But whatever. That's just that's just Kelly. But it was just like, go Stafford. Honestly, in that moment, I was like, go Stafford. Good for Stafford. I'm glad that you get to have this moment. I would never want to take away from the taste of victory from the person right like it it hurts me that they won but just because it hurts me i'm not gonna shame them for winning i'm not gonna be mad at them for winning the game i can be mad that they won but i'm not gonna be mad at the players that they won the game that's stupid i'm just mad that a quarterback spent 13 12 years in my town in detroit and never won a division. No playoff victories, nothing, nothing. And we knew he was good and we knew that he was better than what he was showing here. And then he left Detroit and immediately won a Super Bowl. And it was not what I wanted to happen. It was not an ideal way for this whole Detroit Stafford thing to end. Because we thought 
that he could at least win a playoff game here. He could win two playoff games here. He could get us a division in years where the NFC North was down a few years, right? Like it wasn't just, oh, Stafford went to Detroit. Detroit's terrible. They didn't help him. He left Detroit. Oh my gosh, he's Super Bowl champion. Like it's 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 deeper than that. But when he won, of course I was angry. Of course I felt like, one, my city is just, it's toast. And it, it has been for a while, but it's just even more toast, right? It's just, it's just putting lighter fluid on the ash. It's already ash, but you just put more lighter fluid on it and you lit a match on the ash. And it's like, was that really necessary? And it's just annoying because you can take punch after punch after punch after punch after punch, but eventually they start to hurt more because you've taken more, right? The first couple punches, they hurt, but you keep going. You keep pushing through. But the more punches you take and the harder they get, every punch you take after the first punch seems like it's harder than the one that came before it. And this one was a blow that just landed and hit the kidney perfectly. And if anyone can speak about kidney pain and malfunction, it's me, right? And I won't get into that, but I understand kidney pain. That's what it was when Stafford won that Super Bowl. That was blow after blow after blow landing. And that one punch, one hard punch hitting the perfect spot to just drop you, just drop you right down. I'm not acting like Detroit was this sport haven or this magnificent city before Stafford went and won that Super Bowl. I know the city's down, but I also know that it's coming back. And I also know that it wasn't 99.98% Detroit's fault that Stafford failed here. And I also know that there are other teams in this city that are close to winning, but unfortunately football is the biggest market. So the Lions get the most coverage and the most coverage is on a team that's completely terrible. And, that, and that, that's just how it goes. That's how it works. And there's nothing wrong with the fact that that's how it works. You cover what makes you money. You advertise what makes you money. You put emphasis on what makes you money. And there's nothing wrong with the fact that the Lions are the most publicized of the four major sports teams in Detroit. It makes sense. I understand why it is. But there's also a negative connotation to that because they're terrible, because they're awful. And when Stafford leaves Detroit, that's a high profile thing. And as soon as he leaves, he wins a Super Bowl. That's not ideal. That's not what you want to happen if you're tired of taking punches as a Detroit person, as a Detroit fan, as a Southeastern Michigan person, as a Birmingham person in a Porsche, whoever, whoever you are, Wherever you are, you could be in New Zealand rooting for the Lions and this could sting. Who cares? But eventually the punches start to hurt. And like I said in the last show, it wasn't about this Lion fan that was jealous of watching him leave, that I was envious of somebody else winning a Super Bowl and we weren't. I know my team's not ready to win a Super Bowl right now. They're trying. Well, some would argue they're not. Some would argue they are. But let's just go into the assumption that the Lions owners are, well, owner, is capable enough to understand that the end goal of a season is to win a Super Bowl eventually when you're ready, right? So let's just go into this assuming that Sheila Ford knows that the Lombardi Trophy is what happens at the end of the season if you win this game called the Super Bowl. Now, I'm not sure 
you know, you never know. Sheila might not even know what a Super Bowl is or what it, if it's a game that gets played. She might think that it's just a fancy bowl in a kitchen. I don't know. But I'm going to assume that Sheila Ford understands that the end goal is to win a Super Bowl. And I think she also understands that if she does know that the Super Bowl exists, that the end goal will be to win a Super Bowl and that they're not ready yet. And it's not a bad thing that they're not ready yet. They just destroyed everything, right? Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn destroyed everything. They blew it up, right? They left the Lions in ash, the ash that I was talking about earlier. That's how they left it. So now bring in a new head coach, bring in a new general manager, our quarterback very politely is like, I would like to go somewhere else. The Lions don't mess it up. They trade them. They get two first round picks and another quarterback and business is business. And that's what it was for me. It was business. It wasn't about me saying, oh my gosh, we're terrible. The Rams are good. Why can't we just be the Rams or why can't we just be the Bengals or whatever? That's not what it was about. It was about him doing what he did in Detroit or not doing what he didn't do in Detroit and then immediately leaving and doing it with the Rams. That's what hurt. It wasn't about my team not being ready or my team being futile for, you know, well, 70 years almost at this point, 65 years. It's not, that's not what it was about. I just didn't like that Stafford didn't win anything here. And then as soon as he left, he won in LA and it just painted this not true story about who Stafford was in town. And I had to deal with it. People, people were just lying to my face as not Lions fans saying that Detroit was the problem. Or it's like, oh, he failed because he was in Detroit. Detroit's a, you know, a bleep place, a dog bleep place, whatever. That's not what it was. That's not what it was about. I know my team's garbage. Believe me. I'm, I, I'm here. I do it. I live it. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I see it. I know. But it wasn't about that. It wasn't about the state of my team. I just was not comfortable with Stafford leaving Detroit and winning a Super Bowl. Stafford went 11 and 5 in 2014 in Detroit. He threw for 22 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. He threw for 41 touchdowns and 17 interceptions in a year where the Rams went 12 and 5 during the regular season. So say he probably I oh man, I he threw six touchdowns in the postseason and oh my gosh, three three picks should have been four, but it was three. So 35 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. He went 12 and 5. Stafford played worse in 2014 in Detroit than he did in LA and his team finished with a, the same record cuz there was only 17 games, 11 and 5, 12 and 5. There were only there were only 16. It was a 17 week season in 2014, right? They they didn't have the one year or one year, one week extension yet, right? So he pretty much did the same thing in 14 as he did in 21, right? The, the team did the same thing and Stafford did less. He had more support around him, right? So I just I just don't like the idea that it was all Detroit's fault. And it's not some blind Detroit loyalist when someone comes at his town and says, oh, Detroit this, Detroit sucks. It's not me having blind loyalty and be like, no, 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 no. Detroit wasn't the problem. Stafford was. Detroit can't be at fault in anything. I never said that. It wasn't about me blindly defending my worthless town, according to you. It's, it's never what it was. It was just the idea of a fan, of a team, and a player over a decade and a half, almost 12 years, and a fan of a city, and a fan 
of a city's reputation that's trying to rebuild, that's trying to reclimate itself as a city and as a franchise. And when stuff like this happens, it halts good progress that's being made, good progress that I think is being made by our football team. And it's hard to keep that up when everyone just won't let you get up off the ground, when you're held there. It's not easy, and it's not supposed to be easy. I'm not saying that everything is meant to be all shiny and rainbows and flowers and daffodils and whatever. It's not supposed to be like that. There is victory and there's defeat. There's winning and there's losing. There's pain and suffering and there's happiness. There, there, it's, all, it's all the beauty of the sports that we follow, no matter what it is, football, basketball, curling, whatever. There's victory and there's defeat, and there are the emotions that come with that. And for some people, Stafford winning was a victory for them. For me, it was defeat, and I felt the pain and anger of defeat, of a true defeat for my team, for my franchise, draft-wise and narrative-slash-reputation-wise. So when Stafford won, I lost, and other people lost, but other people won, and there's... There was this disconnect, I feel like, with with people that wanted Stafford to win entirely and then people that were like, I mean, I would like the Rams to lose to get a better draft pick and also because I don't like the idea of him leaving Detroit and winning a Super Bowl. There was this major disconnect. You know, everyone thought that it was one way or the other. Neither side, but both sides couldn't be right. It was... I'm right and you're wrong, or you're right and I'm wrong. There was no middle ground between the two sides, right? It kind of sounds like something else. But I, I wasn't thinking in my head, like, I hate Stafford. Stafford can't win. Boo Stafford, L Stafford, whatever. I wasn't thinking that. It just, Stafford went to the Rams draft picks were exchanged and once the draft pick became essentially irrelevant once they hit the AFC champion or NFC championship it just kind of meant more that Stafford lose in a twisted way because he was getting closer to doing something that the Lions have never done that he had never done in the first year that he leaves and I was not okay with that I didn't like that I wasn't comfortable with it which is why I was so emotional when it happened, or after it happened, as it happened, whatever. I didn't get a live recording of me at the game. I honestly, I didn't, I wasn't doing much when I was watching the game, really. I, I, my most emotional moments while watching the game was when Stafford threw the interceptions. <laughs> he threw the interception. I couldn't tell you how many times I had seen him roll to his left like that, throw a deep ball on a big moment, underthrowed, interception. I can tell you how many times I'd seen on that exact throw to Skoranek. He overthrew him, just let him just a little bit too far. The receiver holds out his hand. Oh my gosh, tipped ball, interception. Everything was going Cincinnati's way. I was very happy, very emotional when that happened. But when the game was done, you know, when, when, when Schmoney didn't get that fourth and one, when he got tackled from the back and Jamar Chase was already five steps behind Jalen Ramsey, when that play didn't work, I just quietly got up. I didn't make any noise. I didn't make a scene. I didn't do anything. I got up. I auto-started, remote-started the car because I'm one of those people. I remote-started the car, got the car heated up, 
put my coat on, sent a couple of texts to people that I know were rooting for Stafford and the Rams, sent them my congratulations, had a bag of chips, and walked out and left. Barely said a word. That's all it was. I lost, and I had to deal with the emotions of that loss for me. And I did it in a way that I know best. Verbal communication in my room by myself with a microphone. That's all that happened. That's all it was. I wasn't mad at Stafford. There was no, I wasn't thinking in the car as I'm driving through the snow, through the ice, negative 20 degrees, whatever it was that day, stupid, whatever, right? Not negative 40 like it is now. But I wasn't thinking about ways to insult Stafford, ways to hate on Stafford, ways to make Stafford the problem. It wasn't about that. It was about him leaving, and as soon as he does, he wins. It was about the Lions being failures. It was about the Rams doing it right. It was about the failures of my franchise, but also the failures of Stafford while he was here. I couldn't get the thoughts out of my mind about times where Stafford had let us down in Seattle, in New Orleans, in Dallas, 2014, trying to win the North, trying to win the division, win one of the three final games, the division is yours, lost all of them. That's what I was thinking about. I wasn't a Stafford hater when he was in Detroit. I wasn't even a Stafford hater when he left. It was all business to me. It was all business. And once the business end of it went out the window, it was about reputation. It was about narrative. That's all it was, right? I'm happy for Stafford. When somebody wins something like that, unless they're a complete idiot, I'm not going to be mad that they won, that that individual person won, but I can be mad that that team won because of what it does and how it impacts my team. But was I mad that the Rams won? Yes. But I wasn't mad about Stafford winning. I'm not going to be like, oh my gosh, how could Stafford win that game? That makes no sense. You know, screw you, Stafford. Screw you for leaving. Whatever. That's not, it was none of that. It was fun to see that side of Stafford. Aaron Donald, well-deserved. Cooper Cup, well-deserved. Sean McVay, well-deserved. It's well-deserved everywhere. It just, it just comes at the cost of me and how I feel about my team and how my team is going to have to deal with this in the offseason, right? Because they can have all this blind, you know, gratitude towards Stafford and all of this. We're so proud of you, Matthew. You've done so much for this city. Thank you for everything you did. We're so proud of everything that you're doing in LA. Congratulations, Matt. We love you. Hashtag nine forever. They can do that all they want. They can put up that escapade, but it's not real. That's not real. That's not what's happening. What they're being told by everybody outside and hopefully inside the organization, although I don't think it's happening inside, but what they hear, players, coaches, even if the coaches say ignore what happens outside of the team, it's, it's impossible with all the media, with all the noise. It's impossible to ignore it. So all these players here, 
All they hear is Stafford left town, won a Super Bowl, poverty franchise, poverty Detroit, failures, losers, unforgivable. How do you let this happen? How does he leave town and win a Super Bowl immediately? Immediately. Unbelievable. That's what they hear. That's what they hear. Misfits. Island of Misfit Toys. Allen Park, Michigan. That's what they hear. And it's not easy to overcome that when everyone shames you and buries you and punches you because that's what's happening. And that's why it's difficult. It's not difficult because I don't like Stafford. It's difficult because I like Stafford. And I liked him when he was here. I wasn't the biggest Stafford fan. I didn't think he was Joe Montana. I didn't think he was Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. I didn't think he was the best quarterback in the NFC North. But I knew what he was capable of. I knew that he had the potential to do in Detroit what he did in L.A. Just in the moments, he couldn't come through. And in L.A., when he made the mistakes that I'd seen him make over and over again, the team around him was able to overcome. And that's where the Rams succeeded, where the Lions couldn't. Because when Stafford made the mistakes that he did, there wasn't enough around Stafford to where he could get picked back up and they could win games. They could win big games. But even then, even then, in the biggest games that really mattered, they got blown out. They got blown out other than Dallas. There was no chance of them winning in New Orleans. Blown out of that game. In Seattle, blown out of that game. Wasn't close. Right, so in two of those three games, Stafford barely even showed up. And then in 2014, win one of three games, you win the division. Lost all of them. Some of that's on Stafford. Some of that's on the leader of the team. It, that, and that's what makes it difficult. Like I said, it's not difficult because I'm a Stafford hater. It's not difficult because I don't like Stafford. It's not difficult because I don't like his wife. It's not difficult because I feel bad for him because he has three daughters in this generation. It's none of that. It's none of that. It's I feel bad because I know what he can do. And that was always what I imagined him doing here, what I thought he could get done eventually. But when Quinn and Patricia blew all of it up, that's when I knew he's probably gonna go. And this is probably gonna be it and he's done all that he can. And now he's gonna go somewhere else and we're gonna see what he does. And he went out and he won a Super Bowl. And, and, and nothing, none of that can be changed. None of that can be edited. That is history, that is sealed. And the Hall of Fame argument can be had. I said last week, I said he's a Hall of Famer. And I agree. I think he is. I agree, I agree with myself. Yeah, no bleep, Sherlock. But when I hear other people talk about Stafford as a Hall of Famer, including Dan Orlovsky, I say, yeah. Yeah, I gotta agree. Because he might not have the accolades, Super Bowl MVP, MVP, All-Pro, whatever. He is going to finish top 10 in almost every passing category, every passing category, completions, yards, touchdowns, completion percent. He's going to be up there in all of those areas. He was the quickest to get to every major yard milestone almost ever. Quickest to 40,000, quickest to 50,000, I think, quickest to 30,000. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. He has to be now, doesn't he? The argument can be made that he is or that he isn't, but I got to lean towards the fact that he is, and that goes back to what I said at the end of last week. When he goes in, I know he mentioned Detroit, 
and after the the Super Bowl and at the the parade, right? I it wasn't what Brady did after is not mentioning anything about the Patriots when he retired. All right, Stafford at least acknowledged the fact that he did spend time in Detroit as a professional football player. He didn't completely forget Detroit, but when he goes into the Hall of Fame, if when, but I think it's when because he's still got five more years probably, four, depending on what the Rams decide to do with their salary cap, whatever it is, three more years at least, whatever. When he goes in, if he does, let's say for argument's sake that he does, for the sake of my argument, let's say he does go in, he won't be wearing Honolulu blue. He won't be wearing white and Honolulu blue. He won't be wearing those ugly gray color rushes. He won't be wearing any of that. I get they're not that. They're okay. They, the black jerseys were better. Anyways, he doesn't go in as a lion. And I think that's where some of you failed, as I said more loudly than I do today. That's where you failed as Lion fans, as people that were rooting for Stafford, blindly or unblindly. However, however you rooted for him, that's where I felt like you failed. Because you didn't understand that Stafford, if he wins, he's not your quarterback. He doesn't go in as a Lion. He may mention Detroit, but he doesn't go in as your quarterback. That banner for him winning a Super Bowl, that doesn't go up in your stadium, in your city, not even in your state. It goes up on the completely other side of the country. And that was that's my issue. Because I wanted Stafford to bring the banners here. And now he's bringing them somewhere else. And that's where the issue stemmed. That's why the emotions were so high. That's why I didn't want him to win. Why I didn't want the Rams to win. Because I didn't want the banners to go up somewhere else. I wanted the banners to be up here. Because I knew that they could be. Not a banner for a playoff berth. A banner for a division. For a playoff win. For, God forbid, an NFC championship appearance. appearance. Whatever. I wanted something here. I wanted accolades here. I didn't want him to do nothing and then turn around, go to L.A. and win a Super Bowl. It was hard enough when he turned around and he won the division and he won a playoff game immediately. That was hard enough. But he got the Super Bowl, man. He got the Super Bowl. An, an achievement that so few quarterbacks have ever achieved. So few. And he does it as soon as he leaves town. That was where it started. And that's where it ended. It was all right there. All of it. He won a Super Bowl as soon as he left. And it was not easy. Which is why the emotions ran high. Which is why I felt that my city was going to be unnecessarily buried and punished for their failures. Yes, did they fail at times? Yes. But they were taking much more than they needed from the national media. Much more than they deserved. Because it wasn't all Detroit. Stafford wasn't doomed to fail as soon as he got off the plane at Metro. It wasn't how it works. He was a leader and a captain and a quarterback for this team, and he never got it done, which is why it hurt to see him get it done somewhere else because you waited so long to see him get it done here. And the, and the mistakes were there. The mistakes were there. Two interceptions in the Super Bowl. It was right there. It was all in front of everybody's faces. But the difference was Stafford had the personnel around him one, made it a little bit easier to make the comeback, but he had Stafford had nice receivers and offensive weapons around him when he was in town. But the thing that hurt was seeing Stafford make the mistakes and seeing the defense around him, really. 
seeing how much he had on the defensive side of the ball. Saying, oh, I threw an interception. No, don't worry. Here come Jalen Ramsey, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Von Miller, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Von Miller, Aaron Donald. All of, them, all of them. Aaron Donald's like four dudes, three dudes. I mean, it's crazy. And you saw, like I said at the end, at the end of last week too. It was the Rams. It was the Rams D line. It was the Rams front seven that made the difference in that game. And just seeing the defensive support around Stafford, it was it was wild because you knew you knew what he could do for all of us, and he got it done in L.A. but not in Detroit. And it's one thing if he doesn't get it done in Detroit because he has no help or because the organization is truly that futile. But he did have help. There were good years. There were good teams. And in those good years, he didn't get it done. And yes, were there some bad years? Were there years was the Ross, where the roster was bad? Yes. Were there years where Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia were leading this team? Yes. But there were also years where the team went 9-7 and seven when they could have gone 11-5. and five. There was a year where the team went 11-5 and five and they could have been better and they could have won the division. Instead, they were playing a road wild card game in mid-January. Whatever, yeah, mid-January, whatever. Right, so I don't think Stafford's a bad quarterback. And I made that very clear last week and hopefully this week too. I don't have any ill will towards Stafford but I have ill will to the fact that as soon as he left he won a Super Bowl somewhere else and another city and in my opinion an undeserving city got to feel the victory the happiness the passion that comes with the feeling of victory an undeserving city felt that so if it's jealousy of anything it's not jealousy that Stafford won and Jared Goff didn't. It's more jealousy that Los Angeles won again, and Detroit didn't. And Detroit got the opposite. Not only did Detroit lose, but they got shunned and shamed for losing because the man that won was the face of our franchise for over a decade. That's what it was. So if you want to say jealous of anything, I was jealous of the city of Los Angeles, an undeserving city, an undeserving football city, winning the big game, the Super Bowl, the division, all these things, all these things happening in a city that, in my opinion, didn't deserve it and not happening in a city that does, a city that deserves it so much, a city whose fans and citizens deserve it. Even the, even the bandwagon Detroit fans deserve it because at least as a bandwagon fan, you can hop on, right? There's been no bandwagon for bandwagon Lion fans to hop on. There hasn't been. And so it's just, it's not easy. And, and then another thing, like I also kind of mentioned last week was Cincinnati. I felt Cincinnati deserved it too, just just because of the fans. I mean, you saw you saw the, the Cincinnati thing when the team came back. And the, the fans saluted the team, you know, around the airport when they got back to Cincinnati and when when they were when they were in town. The fans came out more to support Cincinnati's loss than LA fans did to support their win. And you could hear the sound of the, the echo of poor drunk Stafford going, Let's go through through LA. You heard the echo 
of him going, let me give you some uh, Halloran hospitality. You heard it. You heard it. Just like how you heard the echo of Dave Portney emergency press conference for whatever. Joan Howard, respect, assault, boo Wisconsin, off Wisconsin, not on Wisconsin. Whatever. You heard it. There was the echo because nobody was listening. Nobody was listening in L.A. when Stafford was doing all that stuff. There was nobody there. There was nobody there. Imagine the parade Stafford gets in town in Detroit. If he wins a division, not even not, not even a playoff game, a division. Imagine what he gets. Imagine the scene. Imagine the scene. Woodward, Mack Avenue, wherever, wherever. Grand River, 4th Street, 3th Street. Wh- who cares? Imagine the scene. Imagine the scene. Eight mile, seven mile, wherever they are. Imagine that scene if he wins the division. It is ten times what that stupid city out west brought. Ten times. Maybe even more. And I'll guarantee you this. It'll be a lot longer than a .8 mile parade too or whatever it was. I think the total parade distance was less than a mile. That was still enough distance for Stafford to be blacked out. <laughs> crazy. Absolutely crazy. That's what, get, that's what gets in your head too. Because you think, you think what could have been when he was here. All these things that could have gone your way when he was in town. All these different things. Snap second decisions that if they would have just gone the other way. Oh, what could have been? Bad things don't happen to you because you're unlucky. They happen to you because you're a dumbass. Think about that. Think about that. Bad things happen to us in Detroit. We blame it on a curse. We blame it on a guy 60 years ago that formed his arms in the shape of an X in a press conference. That's what we blame it on. That. Unlucky. A curse. No. Bad things happen to us because we're bad. Because we're dumb. Because we don't know how to run a franchise. We don't know how to root for a franchise. We don't have what it takes to win. Yet. And it always comes back to the last names of the owners. It always does. And it probably always will. Until they start winning. But up till this point, it wasn't bad luck. It wasn't a curse. Bad things happen to us because we don't know how to run a franchise. Because those in charge don't know what they're doing. Our owners didn't build an empire. Our owners didn't create anything. They weren't moguls of finance, of real estate, of Home Depot like Arthur Blank. They weren't any of it. Our owners are nobodies. They were gifted this. They didn't do anything to earn it. There was nothing. What are the credentials to own a franchise? There are none. That's why we lose. That's why we fail. That's why we get buried. Not because we're unlucky. Not because the media hates us. Not even maybe not even because it's Detroit versus everybody. Bad things happen to us on the field, in the media, in the papers, everywhere. Bad things happen to us 
because we're dumbasses, because we lose repeatedly, because we make bad decisions in crunch time moments, because we hire Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia, because we draft Jeff Okuda, because we pass on quarterbacks two years ago, because we draft Eric Ebron over Aaron Donald. That's why. Because we draft whoever we drafted ahead of DK Metcalf. That's why. It's not because some old quarterback in 1958 put up his arms in the shape of an X after a press conference and said you'll never win anything for another 60 years. Hey, or 50 years. Hey, geniuses, it's been 60 years. Even if you think the curse is real, we've still had a decade and we've done nothing. That's why. Because we're failures and because we lose. And now everybody sees it. Everybody sees everything that we've had to go through. And they see that even when it wasn't all gloom and doom, even wasn't when it wasn't all we're failures, woe is us, we're 5-11 and 11 every season, even in the good years, we still failed. We still failed as a franchise. And that's what hurts. Because amidst the failures, there was hope because there was Stafford and you knew that Stafford had the ability to make plays, to change the narrative of things, to get us at least one thing while he was here. One, not even piece of hardware, one banner, not for a playoff appearance, for a division, for a playoff win. Maybe you thought that there could be some sort of silver lining to what he did. But no, he leaves with no accolades, division-wise, playoff-wise. No accolades. None. And he goes to LA and immediately, he gets all of it. He gets all of it. And that's where it hurts. That's where it hurts. Because bad things happen to us all the time. But not because of a curse. Because we're just bad. We're just bad at everything we do football-wise. <laughs> we're just bad. <laughs> and we start this new regime. Well, it's already started. But we enter the hopefully, get. we're getting closer to hopefully winning time. Right? We think the second year was the year where we start to see potentially what our GM can do and our head coach. And then the third year is when you expect to make the playoff push. So hopefully now we're getting into what we can potentially see them do. But we don't know. And chances are history will repeat itself and it'll all fail again. But it's the hope that keeps us going. It was the hope of Stafford that kept us going. It was knowing that we had a franchise quarterback here that could miraculously do it. But it never happened. And it did somewhere else. And that's okay. That's okay that Stafford did good things. There's nothing wrong with that. It just hurts. It just hurts. That's all it is. It's just pain. It's just pain. I don't think it's wrong to feel pain. I don't think it's wrong to have this opinion. I don't think it's wrong to tell other people that I have this opinion. I don't think it's wrong that when I say this opinion in a room full of non-Lion fans, that they look at me like I have lobsters crawling out of, ear, out of my ears. Like the kid in the Christmas story says. They looked at me like I had lobsters crawling out of my ears. Well, yeah. 
because to everyone else, you said something stupid. And even to yourself, you said something stupid, the way it sounded. But to me, I don't think it sounds stupid. I just think it's the pain of a Lion fan, of a young Lion fan, that hasn't gone through what uncles and fathers and grandfathers and great uncles have gone through in my position. This is a young Lion fan talking about this. This is somebody that does their best to understand what's happening on and off the field in the context surrounding it. And it's just the pain that comes with losing your franchise quarterback, losing games during the season, losing any sort of ground that you might have had, and that Stafford is part of the issue argument. Just losing all of it and then watching him win somewhere else. And that's just that that's just where I conclude. That's where I conclude this whole thing and that's where I put it to bed. Stafford winning is it a bad thing? No. Of course it's not a bad thing that Stafford won a big game. It's just bad that it happened somewhere else when it could have happened here and it should have happened more here in the bigger moments than what it did. And that's it. No no malice, no bad feelings towards Stafford. His wife, that's a little different. She's kind of annoying. But... You know, when his kids are throwing around the confetti on the field and he's got a big smile on his face and the daughter's like, you're the best dad ever and all all these things, right? You won't feel, you won't rain on that parade. You won't be mad that that happened for this man. But you can be mad that it happened for a team and you can be mad that it didn't go to the team that you wanted. You can be mad that it didn't go the way that you wanted in a way that you felt was best for your city, for your team that you root for. That's all. That's all it was. So that that's where I leave this. And that's where I put it to bed. And that's where I put it to rest. Stafford won a Super Bowl. The Rams won a Super Bowl. Stafford wasn't the MVP. Cooper Cup was. And that's it. And now we move on. And now we in Detroit deal with the repercussions of this. We deal with the fallout, hence the title. And that's it. Moving on to Juwan Howard's craziness. For those of you living in Antarctica that have no idea what happened Sunday, or for those of you that don't watch college basketball but watch UFC, you might have an interest in this. I think anyone should have an interest in this because this is something that can be, I'll say, used as a lesson for anybody, really, because this is someone at a workplace, at their workplace, striking somebody else in the workplace, at the job, a coach of a college basketball team, college basketball, Division One, Power Five, Big Ten, University of Michigan. University of Michigan. All the crap that I give the blue and yellow, the blue and maize, whatever your colors are, nobody cares. All the stuff that I say, all the stuff that's happened, Michigan, Michigan State football, dancing on the logo, all these different things. Your coach hit another coach. Jawan Howard hit Wisconsin's assistant coach, whose name I don't remember. And the name's irrelevant, honestly, because it's a coach. It's a member of the opponent's staff. Would it be 
Maybe a bigger story if he had hit Greg Gard? Potentially, yeah. But that's not the argument. The thing is, Juwan Howard hit another coach. He hit him. There's no argument. There's no, oh, was this Juwan's fault? Was this not Juwan's fault? This is on Juwan Howard. This isn't on Greg Gard. This isn't on Wisconsin's players. This isn't on Michigan's players. This isn't on the assistant. This isn't on lack of de-escalation, even really, because Juwan was Juwan wasn't going to be de-escalated anyways. The way I see this is that Juwan Howard is the leader of his team. And I, I really like the way that Lafonso Ellis put this on ESPN. And it's kind of what I was thinking too before before I, you know, went deep dive into into news and what people were saying about it. I thought, you know what, this guy's supposed to be a leader. There are leaders on the team, and then there's the leader that leads the leaders on the team. And Juwan Howard is the leader. He is the main guy. He is supposed to show his men, his players, what they're supposed to be on and off the court. Juwan Howard is supposed to be a role model to them. Juwan Howard is supposed to represent what these men should strive to be on and off the court during their collegiate education and after, whether that be NBA, whether that be somewhere else, whether that be in the European basketball, wherever it may end up, enterprise, who knows? But Juwan Howard is supposed to be the role model and the representation. I really loved how Alfonso Ellis put it. He was, he, he was talking about how Juwan Howard is the main person, how these guys should be looking up to Juwan Howard how Juwan Howard should be a reflection of what these men should be post-graduation and during their time in school, right? And, and Seth Greenberg talked a little bit about it too and, and agreed with Lafonso Ellis. But, but just, just the way, the way Lafonso Ellis talked about it, I, it just, I, whatever it was, it struck me the most. I, I think just because the way Lafonso Ellis talked about, you know, as a, as a former player, and talking about how he viewed his coaches and how he would look up to his coaches. So it was just like, yeah, I, I really resonate with what this guy's saying because I've had leaders and people in my life that I've looked up to and maybe not necessarily completely copied their actions to be exactly who they are or who they are supposed to be. I don't, there aren't people that I look up to and mimic their every action just to hope that I can become exactly like who they are. But there are people that I look up to and, and kind of say, I want to be like that person. There are lessons that I can learn from this person. And if that person were to just physically attack somebody in the workplace, that would just be, I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would do about any of it because it's just so unheard of. I've never seen anything like it. I talked with my dad. I was like, have you ever seen this coach on coach like this? He's like, no. Talk to other people older than my dad. Have you ever seen this? No. All of them. No. Never seen anything like this. Coach on coach. There are very rare instances where you see coach on player, but it's happened. It's happened. There are instances, probably at least one instance each year in each sport where player on player actions happen, 
because the players get heated, the emotions run high. And I won't get into the science of testosterone and energy, male, whatever. That's not, that's not the point. The thing is, players get into scuffles with players. And it's supposed to be the coaches and the referees and the police, if need be. But mainly the coaches that are supposed to come and separate things along with the healthy officials during the game. But it's mainly up to the coaches to separate these things. To cool everybody off. To pop half a Xan and go to bed. Go to sleep. Stop. Cool your jets. That's what the coaches are there to do. The coaches are there to execute their de-escalation tactics. Right? We hear a lot about de-escalation tactics. Right? The coaches are there to de-escalate things and be the voice of reason and the role model and the leader when things on the court with the players or on the field or in the bowling alley or whatever, the coaches are there to be the leaders and the voices of reason and the representation of the university to say, relax, you've made your point, let's move on, respect your opponent, let's go win the game. The coach isn't supposed to be the one after the game being held in check or attempted to be held in check by his players. And then the coach is the one that reaches out and hits another coach. Huh? When? Where? How does this happen? When does it happen? Why? Is it because Jawan was raised in Chicago? No, that's not why. Do bad things happen to Jawan because he's unlucky? No, I won't finish. I won't finish that statement either. You know what I'm thinking. You know what I'm going to say. There's no need to finish that. But when he does something like this, when he represents Michigan in that way, I love it. I love it because it buries you. It buries Michigan the way I talked about the Lions being buried. People now are getting to see a little bit. People can finally talk bad about Michigan. People can finally call Michigan out for a major shortcoming, for a major failure. Because it happened in front of everybody's eyes. Everybody's eyes. And there was nothing that anyone could do to look away or avoid the issue because it was uncomfortable. Everybody saw it. And there was nothing that anyone was going to do that could make them turn a blind eye. And when Michigan does something like this, and it gets nationally reported in a negative light, it's beautiful. Because it's so rare to see something like that happen. But the fines, the suspensions, all these other things that happen as a result of what Jawan did, it's crazy. And, and, and guard got the $10,000 fine, which is now getting paid, paid by Maryland. It's like, you know what? I don't necessarily agree with it because the way guard grabbed, this is about as Jawan side as I'm going to get. The way guard grabbed them, I don't think guard needed to grab his arm the way that he did. I think guard could have just 
put his arm out and blocked him and said, like, look, I, I'm not going to grab you. I, I just want to, like, stop you from walking past me. And guard kind of just reached and, like, grabbed his sleeve a little bit. Looked like guard was tugging on his sleeve. Right? I get it. Then Juwan went and basically grabbed him, like, almost, like, up where the buttons are on his shirt. Like, I don't I don't know if guard was right. Whatever. Guard, Juwan grabbed guard up by, like, the neck. Or the way the bully grabs the little punk kid and, like, twists his shirt and pulls him up. Like, that's what Juwan was doing. And I was just like, man, this is nuts. I've never seen anything like this happen. I hope I don't have to see it happen, really, because it's it was uncomfortable to watch. Because this, these are two men that are supposed to be the prime representation, prime example of a leader to younger men. And you saw the representation of that. You saw... You saw this manifest itself when Diabate and Williams were the ones that got suspensions. Two Michigan players got suspensions, and one Wisconsin player got a suspension. And I agree with the suspensions being handed out, but I also don't think it's a coincidence that the coach that has found himself in more controversial situations, in more hot water over the past year, or ever since... Ever since he got hired, in the time that Juwan Howard's been the head coach of Michigan, and in that same stretch of time for Greg Gard, Juwan Howard has been the one that has found himself in these more questionable spots. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the players of the coach who have been in a more questionable spot were the ones that got the suspensions, right? Gard has much less, you know, controversial stuff under him. Guard's gotten technicals, he's gotten all these different things, he's gotten heated, He's you see him screaming at the players, you, you see it, you see it. But it's nothing compared to what Juwan has found himself as a part of. And I think when Juwan is the one who has two of his players suspended and Guard only has one of his players suspended, I think it makes sense because you see the players taking after the example that Juwan Howard has set. And sometimes it's a good example that Juwan Howard sets. I'll accept that because I think Juwan has brought a sense of toughness to this Michigan team. I think you saw that when their backs are against the wall and they started to turn it around and win games. Those were tough, gritty, Big Ten home and road games that they won, right? I don't think that Juwan is this entirely bad example. I think people that are saying that are just not correct. They're not very smart basketball people or people in general. I think Juwan can be a great role model at certain times. I think Juwan brings a different element to this team that John Beeline couldn't do, that John Beeline couldn't bring. The Juwan Howard hire I thought was a good hire and it could still end up being that way but things need to be put in check things need to be stopped and when Juwan Howard doesn't show any remorse no apology nothing for what happened that's where I start to get confused and that's where the doubts start to come in because I know that Michigan 
has a good basketball program. I know that they have good recruits. I know that it is a marquee, top-of-the-line program. The way they recruit, the money that they can spend, the facilities, all of it, all of it is representative of what you want in a power Big Ten school. And you've seen that in the scale of the recruits that they were supposed to have with Caleb Houston, despite the underperformance so far this season. There are so many reasons that this Michigan team can get back to where it was during COVID when they were, when they were a number one seed. So many different ways that they can get back there. But if Juwan keeps doing this and he keeps getting suspensions, if he keeps walking out onto the court and grabbing basketballs, you know, God forbid if he keeps hitting the other team's coaches. That's not representative of what you want for your university. And Michigan clearly understood that and put that into practice when they suspended him for the rest of the regular season. But I don't think that's enough. I really don't. I think he needs to be out for the rest of the season, whether they figure it out and pull off some miracle wins and make it to the NCAA tournament or if they go to the NIT. But if, if they finish out the rest of the regular season, they don't get NCAA or NIT, then you know there's nothing we can do about that. Then the season's over, right? But, you know, I think it's, I think it's very interesting to see the dynamic of basketball fans in the mentality because there are some people that are going free Juwan. And I'm like, come on, that's got to be satire, right? Same with, same with what Pornoy said. I'm like, that's got to be satire. But then, like I said earlier, when I saw that he had taken it down, I was like, wait a minute. Was he serious? Was he getting clowned too much? To where he just took it off. Like, Dave Pornoy isn't the one to take stuff off of the internet just because people disagree with what he has to say. He says a lot of dumb stuff and he, he leaves it up. When that happened, when I saw that it had gotten taken down, I was like, huh, maybe he really believed this whole Michigan man routine. And it's, I was just like, huh, that's crazy. It's crazy that people can actually think like this. But the, the $40,000 suspension, or suspend, $40,000 fine, Whatever. Honestly, whatever with the fine. Does it really matter? Probably not. But the thing, the, the, the games. And, and this should cost Michigan its season. What he did should cost Michigan its season. And I hope that it does. Not because I don't like Michigan. Is this fun for me? Yeah. Does it bring joy? Yes. Does it put a smile on my face? Yeah, it does. But I think because of what Juwan did, I think the nature and the aggression of what he did, the malpractice of it, I guess, truly, the it was just a really bad thing to do. And I think it should cost Michigan their season. Because anywhere else, in, in any workplace, if you just smack somebody across the face, across the head, that's going to cost you. That's going to cost you something. Your job, maybe. Money, maybe. They could, somebody could sue. If you hit them that hard and you hurt them, they could sue. Right? Like, there are different things that should happen because of what Juwan did. And I don't, I don't think five games is enough. And maybe, maybe I change my mind if Michigan goes over 0 and 5. But I don't, I don't necessarily think that will happen because I think Michigan has enough talent on the team. And I, I just, I just don't see them going 0 and 5 in the most important stretch of the season. 
right? But everything that Juwan did is just, it's crazy. It's something I've never seen, right? So, so Michigan's schedule to close it out, it's tough, but I don't see him going 0 and 5. There's plenty of opportunity here for Michigan to win some of these games and just enter the NCAA tournament, squeak in off the bubble. Cause Michigan somehow is still staying on people's bubble watches. I don't know how that's possible, but they're still there, which means they have a shot over these next five games tonight. Well, tomorrow night, Rutgers, Illinois, Michigan State, Iowa, Ohio State. I say tonight because you'll see this today, but recording the day before. That's why That's why I got it all screwed up. But you get what I'm saying here. Home Rutgers, home Illinois, home Michigan State, home Iowa. All games that would be great for Michigan to win. All games that would strengthen their resume all at home. And then you go to Ohio State, who isn't convincing. I think Ohio State's a good team, but I don't think they're convincingly a top program, a top 20 program. They're ranked 22. I don't think they're a top 20 team. So there there are winnable games against good teams that can help Michigan's resume, tournament resume, and put them in. And I think Jawan Howard not being a part of that is huge because you need your leader. And, and whatever the interim does, I get it, right? Maybe maybe the interim gets a chance to, to show his Show how good of a coach he is, kind of like Rich Pisaccia, although Pisaccia just ended up going back to be a special teams coordinator again. But this would be such a huge stretch of games for Juwan to win. This would be a pivotal moment in Juwan's coaching career. Team hovering above 500, barely, more than halfway through the season. And he enters this stretch of games a month ago, where back against the wall almost every game, and he wins, and he puts his team from nowhere inside of the tournament to on the bubble. And then he goes and he beats both of his rivals at the end of the season. And Michigan makes this miracle run comparable to what Michigan State did last season and takes his team to the tournament. Now all of that is not there without Juwan. It's all gone. It's all gone. Every possibility that Juwan could have had to have a this miracle season, this amazing comeback season, this stamp on his resume, this thing that not many Michigan coaches have been able to do for basketball, he would have had it. This would have been a season for the memory. Even if, even if they lose in the first round or in the first weekend, Jawan takes his team to, from what it was in December or early January to what it was now and then takes it, the team now, into the tournament. That's crazy that's a great story and now it's all down the drain because of one dumb decision and that's not who you can trust as your head coach and people can have the questions should he be fired should he not be fired is it right to bring him back to coach in the postseason I don't think it's right to bring him back to coach in the postseason and I don't here's my problem because I like to have a definite opinion I like to say yes or no, or give scenarios in which one thing can be right and one thing can be wrong. But with Jawan Howard being fired, with that whole discussion, I truly don't know. I truly don't know what I think would be best. I truly can't give my opinion on it. Because if I think, hmm, how many other professions would the employee be fired if they smacked a fellow employee on the face, on the head? Just, just out of aggression and anger and disrespect. I'm trying to think how many people would still have their job. I'm trying to think if I would still have my job 
stocking produce if I hit my shift manager in the face because I didn't want to wrap broccoli or I didn't want to bring the boxes of oranges up the elevator. If I, if, if he just said, if he grabbed me as I walked by him because I didn't want to stock oranges and then somebody else came and talked to me, told me to stock oranges and I smacked him in the back of the head. I wonder what would happen to me. I don't think I, I, I don't think I would have finished the shift, to be honest. And if I did finish the shift, somebody would have talked to the manager and my Russian manager would have probably fired me. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm just thinking rationally about this. How many other professions, how many other employees, engineers, doctors, lawyers, McDonald's workers, Westbourne Market stock boys, whoever, who would keep their job? Who would? I don't know who would. I couldn't give a definite answer. And, and I don't, I don't see why it's different with Jawan, especially because Jawan Howard is held to a much higher standard as a head coach of a college basketball program meant to develop young men as players and as people towards a goal of either reaching the NBA or becoming a better, well-rounded person through what the player learns from the entire coaching staff. And Juwan Howard is a representation of not only university, but as the of the coaching staff as a whole. And he sorely misrepresented the University of Michigan. Misrepresented them in a way that not even I could have imagined. And I've come up with plenty of ways where Michigan has screwed things up. Dr. Anderson, football, all of it. There have been places where Michigan has failed. But seeing this, seeing the way Jawan Howard carried himself there, seeing how Jawan Howard reacted after not showing remorse, talking about how Greg Gard was the one who escalated it by touching him. You walked through the handshake line, man. It's not a handshake line without handshakes. It's not a, it's not a non-contact, it's not a COVID handshake line where there is no touching and no contact. It's not a handshake line where you stay six feet apart and Greg Gard reached across and grabbed Juwan unnecessarily in a place where Greg Gard wasn't meant to touch Juwan Howard. No. Human contact is the point of a handshake line. Shake the hand of the opponent, move on. Shake his hand and tell him F you. But shake his hand and move on. Keep the mask on, shake guard's hand, tell him F you, punk bleep bleep, and keep walking. That's it. That's all. There's nothing else that needed to happen there. That was all Juwan Howard. Because he was going to be the diva. He was going to be the drama artist. He was going to just walk right by Greg Gard in a handshake line. Something nobody has ever done in the history of ever. And expect nothing to happen. And then gets mad when Greg Gard tries to pull Juwan Howard back and shake his hand. And oh, guess what? A handshake line. Really? This is what we choose to do. We choose to call what Juwan Howard did toughness, resilience, standing up for his guys after guard called a controversial timeout? Are you serious? Come on. There are plenty of better ways to represent yourself, your university, and your players. There are plenty of better ways 
to stand up for your players, to do what you said you were doing in the press conference, standing up for my players, standing up for his guys. There are many different ways that Jawan Howard could have gone about that situation. And my issue is, is that he, he took the worst possible way out. He took the easy way. He was like, you know what? I'm just going to smack this guy in the face. And I, I don't like that. I don't like that Juwan did that. Not not just because somebody got hit, but because it's a foul representation of everything Michigan basketball. Because it's a really foul representation. And I love to poke fun at stuff that Michigan does. And, and when Michigan does something seriously wrong, right, I obviously, I don't take it as a joke. But this is so outrageous. And this is so just out of everything I've ever seen. This is just so foreign to me that I have no idea what to do with it other than just laugh and say, how could you possibly allow this guy to represent your university, your conference, even the sport? We talk about sportsmanship. NCAA talks about sportsmanship all the time, better sportsmanship, better culture for the players. And in, in one of your coaches, the coach of one of the biggest brands, NCAA brands in the world, that head coach just smacked another team's head coach. That's crazy to me. That's crazy that they just not necessarily let it slide, but also kind of just let it slide. The conference kind of just let it slide. That's unbelievable to me. Because yes, is he suspended? But he's still there. He's still there. And, and it's tough because I know what Jawan Howard can be as a coach. I think he's done good things as coach, but he's also had these just mind numbing moments where it's like, huh, well, what's happening? Whoa, oh, Juwan's off the rails again. There are things that he's done that just cannot happen on a college basketball sideline, on any sideline. I've never seen it in any sport, any sport. And if someone wants to bring up soccer in Germany from the 1960s, okay, fair enough. I didn't know that that existed. So if it happened in overseas in soccer, football, whatever, I, I, cool. I was wrong. It has happened before. Oh, well. But I've never seen anything like this over here. Never. It's never happened. But there's a first time for everything. And in this case... What Juwan did Sunday was the first time I'd ever seen that. And I like Wisconsin, I guess, picking up the thing for guard because they, I guess that means Wisconsin as a whole is taking responsibility for it. But they're also saying that it's not a Greg guard thing. It's a Wisconsin thing. But guard was the one that grabbed Juwan. So that's a little more complicated. But I guess I like the gesture of Wisconsin getting behind their head coach and saying, you know what? We got this one, Greg. Your assistant got hit. And you won a big game against a nice team that's a bubble team back against the wall. A desperate team. And you beat him. You handled him good in the second half. And Guard said that. He said, I don't want this to overshadow what was a really good game by our team. And he wasn't going to let what happened overshadow anything outside of that press conference. And so I guess I like what Wisconsin did so that Greg Guard didn't have to focus on it. And he didn't have to let it overshadow everything with his players. So, I mean, it's wild. It's nuts. Like I said, never seen anything like it. Never. And I don't know if I ever will again, regardless of if Juwan's still a coach. I mean, that's just crazy stuff. It's crazy stuff. So that's that's about what I have for it. 
really. It's just, it's so weird. It's such a weird outlandish thing. Because how often do you see not only a coach hit a coach, how often do you see just employees hit other employees in any business? Just out of malice, out of disrespect, out of anger. <laughs> it's old workplace fights breaking out in the 60s, maybe. I don't know. But but today, I mean, man, there's there is employee beef. There is employee drama. I get it. Some employees don't like other employees. But in the end, they all set their differences aside and they go to work. Jawan was not setting his differences aside that day in that line. It was not happening. And I I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how Michigan basketball is going to react. And it's going to be very curious, very interesting to see how they look against Rutgers. And I would, I, I am going to be locked into that game just to see. Because that is going to be a huge game. I'll be watching Iowa State, West Virginia, and I'll be watching Michigan Rutgers. Because that that Michigan Rutgers game, man, that is going to be wild to see how they react. And I think this is going to speak a lot about the team, Michigan's team. I think it's going to speak a lot to how Jawan has coached them. How do they stand up without their head coach? What do they look like with a new interim? Well, not a new... Uh, with a new head coach that's been part of the staff that is now the interim. What do they do? How do they look? How do they perform and play for this interim coach as opposed to Juwan Howard? Is there a difference? Do they win the game? Do they stay on the bubble somehow? Do they keep their NCAA tournament hopes alive? All will be revealed in a day, day and a half, whatever. So it's, it, this is, it's just wild. It's just wild stuff to me. So that that's it for the Juwan Juwan Howard talk. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. I I just I just keep going back and thinking what would happen if I smacked the colleague in the face when I was working produce. <laughs> like what would happen? I'd be I'd be gone probably. And and I a head coach of a college basketball team gets held to much higher standards. So why is he still employed? That's how my logical mind thinks about it. But my other mind thinks. He's done a lot of good things, and, and is he really going to get fired for one super big mistake? Now, he's had mistakes, but this is this is just dialed up to 40 in terms of how bad this was. So, again, second chances, I guess, for something like this, but Juwan's made mistakes like this before, and it's almost like you're just waiting for it to happen again. You just don't know how it's going to happen, how it's going to manifest itself. So we'll see, but in the meantime, I'm going to enjoy – trying to keep up with the news and seeing what Michigan basketball is like. So, so yeah, that's it. That's it for this one. There was a, there was a good amount to do this week with wrapping up Stafford and talking about Jawan. So I'm glad that I managed to keep everything relatively in order and not go off the rails too much, go deviate into things that didn't matter and just ramble aside. I think everything's kind of bottled up, I guess. Now everything's kind of just tied up and, put in a box and left until it needs to be brought out again until we get more news of Juwan or until Michigan plays against Rutgers and either wins by 50, loses by 50, or it's a close game. Who knows? But that's it. We're going to do coaching carousel next week, kind of the end of it. The ride's sort of over. It's slowing down. The coaching news is slowing down. So next week we're going to go back and we're going to take a look at where these coaches are, what happened, where, what's good what's bad. So that's your next week preview. And, and yeah, that's it. So I will talk to you all wonderful people 
next week. And thank you again for tuning in. I appreciate everything that each one of you individuals does. And yeah, coaching carousel next week. Let's go. Michigan State versus Iowa. I have a terrible feeling about this game. Hopefully it goes well, but I don't think it will. Max Christie, please stay another year. Goodbye. You have no choice but to respond, not in kind, but with twice, three times the might. So anybody saying Jawan should get suspended. No, no, no. The entire Wisconsin basketball team should be suspended. Clown. Son, you don't have bad luck. The reason that bad things happen to you is because you're a dumbass.